Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We we thank you that you speak to us through the Bible. And Lord, we thank you that you revealed yourself in Jesus Christ, the living word, the true and almighty God who bore our sins, who defeated death, who makes us new. Amen. We are um, continuing our series on Isaiah. Uh, We're in Isaiah 52 today, uh, but we're going to be starting in Isaiah 51 and finishing Isaiah 53. Um, The problem with preaching through a book that's, what, 60 60 odd chapters long, is that it's very hard to cover it all. Um, So I'll be taking it. I couldn't make John read any more, because that was quite a long reading as it was. Um, But if you're following your Bibles, do do turn with me to Isaiah uh, 51, uh, starting at verse 17, um, because that's where we're going to start off. Um, The Israelites, the people, Isaiah is prophesying to. Um, I'm going through a bit of a, a, a roller coaster ride. They're being promised God's blessing, but they're also under threat from the Assyrians. God keeps promising, yes, I am with you. Yes, I will make you great. Yes, I will build you up. But at the same time, the Assyrian armies are massing. They're, 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 kind of in, they're in a quasi kind of enslavement. Um, and there's this, there's this tension here. And in Isaiah 51, 52, and 53, what God does is he diagnoses the problem. And it's a universal problem. It's the problem that, that, that is not just for the Israelites then, it's for the whole of the human race. And then he reminds them that he's in charge, and then he tells them how he's going to solve the problem. So let's start off with the problem in Isaiah 51. Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, it starts at verse 17. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hands of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Who have drunk to the dreads the bowl of staggering. And it goes on. Um, You are wounded who are drunk but not with wine, verse 21. I was reading a commentary on this. And the commentary, um, the chapter title for this passage was... The drunken Israelites, which I quite liked. Um, the, the commentator was, was, was demonstrating that this passage um, equates the problems of the Israelites with being drunk. There's an image here of, of what the problem of the world is, and the problem of the world is we're all a bit like drunk people. That we make mistakes. That we make bad decisions. We get reckless or we get stubborn, which is pretty much why I hear drunk people do. I wouldn't know. We stop caring about the consequences of our actions. And here is an image of what the brokenness of the world is rooted in. I think what we can do so often is we make the problems of the world into the big things. Climate change, war, or the, the, the things that other people do. The reason we live in a broken world is because other people cause it to be broken. But here, God is reminding the Israelites and reminding us that those problems come about because we all get a bit stubborn and selfish. That we all do little things that are wrong. 
Sin enter the world not through fire and brimstone and, and big problems, but by one person taking a piece of fruit and eating the piece of fruit. That escalated into fratricide in the next, in the next couple of chapters. But sin enters the world because we are stubborn or reckless. We don't care about the consequences of our actions. One of the things that, that um, Isaiah constantly does is he draws us back to the, the story of Exodus. And you see this in Exodus. God's people are saved. They're set free. And they're left alone just for a couple of days. And what do they do? They panic and they think, oh, we need a new God. So we'll make, we'll make a golden calf. And I was reading Exodus um, in morning prayer the last couple of months. And, and you can't even imagine the golden calf to be a huge golden calf. But they use their earrings. So the golden earrings, are probably, I don't know how big the calf, it doesn't say how big the calf gets. But, but here are the Israelites making a little mistake not thinking through what they're doing, just recklessly going, oh, we must, panicking, doing something, and therefore removing themselves from looking at God directly. What we do is we all do actions and we all do things that stop us seeing God, stop us orientating our lives towards God. We turn in on ourselves. We worry about us. We make this life about us and not about him. So this is, that's the context that Isaiah 52 suddenly comes into. And he says, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on the, your beautiful garments. You, you see, it repeats the put on phrase again. And that, 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 that Hebrew word there is the same word you find Exodus, where Aaron and his sons would clothe themselves in priestly garments to enter the presence of God. They'd have to put on certain clothes. And, and come on, if you, if you want to know what they look like, have a look in the stairwell. There's a picture of Aaron at the top of it in the south porch, at the top of the stairs. Aaron and Moses. It's actually quite an accurate description. It's an accurate picture of what's described in the Bible, of how they have to dress up. Get ready for coming into the presence of God. Awake, awake, Osiris is saying, because God is going to become and be with you. You will be in his presence soon. And then it gives two ways, two key things that we have to keep in mind of how this happens. Firstly, from verse 6 onwards, again and again and again, Isaiah reminds us this is about God and not about you. Listen, you sentinels, lift up your voices. Together they sing for joy for the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth with singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. Can you see what happens here again and again and again? It says there's an action of, there's an action of God's people because of what God is doing. And it's important that we get the cause and effect the right way around here. The Lord has bared his holy arm, it says in verse 10, before the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. God has exercised his power so that people may see that he is great. It goes on, um, verse 12, For you shall not go out in haste and you shall not, not, not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. 
and the God of Israel will be with your rearguard. And as you read through that the passage in Isaiah in 52, you see again and again an action of God's people that is a result of what God is doing. It starts with God. It's a warning. There's an implicit warning here not to start with the action. Not to believe that we sing songs in order to make God do what we want. That we don't say prayers in order to try to change God and shape God. That we don't come to bread and wine on the communion table bringing anything with us, but just to receive a token of what God has done for us. The Christian story is about what God has done through Jesus Christ, not what you can do for God. Were the whole realm of nature mine, I'd have nothing to offer him. Again and again and again, I see in the church just creeping in a theology and practice of works. If we try hard enough, then we'll be closer to God. If we do stuff first, then we'll earn God, the right to be in God's presence. I was at a church last Sunday. It's always interesting going to a different church, particularly as a church leader, because you're, you're kind of itching to do stuff and influence it. I just see again and again and again this sense of we came, they came and gave testimony in order to, that God might do more. They talk about coming to communion and bringing your brokenness to communion. God's got your brokenness already. You've got nothing to bring. You're empty-handed in this. We're a people who've got all these things the wrong way around. We believe that the, that the reason the wind blows is because the trees shake. Rather, the reason that we sin is because God has loved us first. Um, a friend of mine, a guy called Johnny, is doing a PhD. Um, he's very, very smart, Johnny. Um, and he's doing it about the health of church, how leaders in the church uh, um, think about the health of their congregations, uh, particularly uh, CEAs. So everything must be a free letter acronym. Um, particularly he's looking at charismatic evangelical Anglicans. Um, so he asked, he sent out a questionnaire to, to, to kind of all these Facebook friends and everyone who could get a hold of, particularly people who are charismatic evangelical Anglicans. Um, so that's charismatic, people who believe that God is alive today and present with his Holy Spirit and interacts with us and meets with us. Um, evangelicals, people who believe that our faith starts and is rooted in what the Bible says. And Anglicans, people who belong to the Church of England. And, and I'm, I'm all three of those, so I ticked all three boxes, so I, I did the questionnaire. Um, and so did 96 other church leaders. And he said, um, he came to interview me um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, out of the 96 church leaders who filled it in, from churches that had a couple of dozen people to churches that had thousands of people in them, out of those 96, only six people mentioned Jesus in their answers. When talking about the health of the church, 96 church leaders, only six of them mentioned Jesus in their answers. We can make our church, we can make our faith, we can make our lives about something other than Jesus really easy. We can make it about our music. 
We can make it about our building. We can make our lives about our family, our finances, our vocation, our job. We can make church about social action rather than Jesus. The amount of churches that I see who prioritize doing good above worshipping Jesus is amazing. Yes, we do good, but we do good because we first dwell at the feet of Jesus and know we're loved by him. I'm miles off my notes. Does that make sense? It's all about Jesus. That's what the word holiness means. We get, we get this wrong as well. I'm, I'm on a tangent now. Um, is that we tend to think holiness is about morality. We think to be a more holy people, we have to be a better people. We have to be a, a, a gooder people. That's not a word, is it? More good. We have to be a moral people. We must, must stop misbehaving. Stop that habit. Stop doing that thing that, that, that you know is wrong. Stop it. Whereas rather, actually, the truth is we need to give ourselves over to Jesus. We have to put him first in our lives. And then suddenly we find, almost as if there is the Holy Spirit that dwells up and rises up in us, that the habits and the brokenness that's in us starts to wash away. You're no match for sin. You're no match for the habits. You're no match for those, those problems that are happening in your life. You're no match for those things if it's not firstly rooted in Jesus. We start with Jesus, then everything else follows. Is there parts of our lives, is there part of our faith, is there part of our church that's become rooted in something other than Christ Jesus? Our whole lives should be for him. Right, moving on. From verse 13. See, my servants shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. So this idea of a servant, a coming servant, is introduced. It goes on to say that he will tell, tell kings to be quiet or hush kings. And then somehow he'll be lifted up and restored. Now, some of the answers to how we get to that place are found in Isaiah 53. This coming person, this coming servant, is Jesus Christ. Jesus will come and somehow restore God to his people. Verse 4 of 53 says this, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we are accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to steal from, from the Alpha Course Nicky Dumble here, really, for it completely. The image given there is, is there's us and we try to get to God. But we are weighed down by our iniquities. We are weighed down by what we've done wrong. We are weighed down by what, God, what other people have done to us. Our relationship with God is broken. 
And that's what leads us to death. That's what causes us to die. It's the brokenness of the world and our brokenness added to it. And our iniquities are laid upon Jesus. And therefore we are free to be with God. That which causes us death is gone. And that's why Jesus dies on the cross. Because our iniquities are laid on him. But it means that you are free. It means that no longer does anything you do wrong, anything you've done wrong in the past, weigh you down and break your relationship with God. This is why the passage started with clothe yourselves, ready to go into the presence of God. Because you can now, because you're clean, because Jesus has died for you. And the servant shall be glorified. He shall rise up. He shall not just take the death and just die, but he he defeats it. And the resurrection removes your iniquities completely from the world, sets you completely free. All that is wrong, all that tears us down, all that breaks us, is laid upon Jesus and he defeats it completely. First by dying the death that we shall die and then by raising to new life and revealing to us the fact that we can have new life ourselves. So we can enter his presence. When I was preparing this, um, this talk, I was reminded of Psalm 51. Um, so Psalm 51 is a strange psalm. It's one of my favourites because it's quite, quite confusing. Um, it's a psalm of David, and David writes in it about how the fact he, he, he's bringing burnt offerings to God, but they seem to make no effect. That he's serving God, and nothing's happening. There's this image of David coming up with all that he's got, saying, God, please, please make things right. Be on my side. And it's just not working. And the psalm makes very little sense until you read the little foot they put in the, the, the front bit. I don't know if this counts as part of the Bible or not. But it says, to the leader, the psalm is a song for the leader to write, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone in on Bathsheba. We know the story of David and Bathsheba, don't we? David sees a woman he, he, who's married but he's really attracted to and he goes and has an affair with her. And Nathan comes and condemns him and says, this is, this is wrong. So what we see in this passage is again and again, David trying to make up for the wrongs he's done by bringing more and more things to God, by serving God more, by doing more, by joining more rotors, whatever the modern day equivalent is. But when you go back to, to the book of Samuel and you read what actually happened, when David is condemned by the prophet Nathaniel for... For, um, for his affair with Bathsheba, his son dies. And we're just like David. David is trying to bring more and more to God when the price has already been paid. The son has already died for his sin. And so many of us, we are, we're, we're trying again and again and again, and we're finding church, we're finding life exhausting because we're trying to earn God's love. We're trying to bring God more and more. And the Son has already died for you. 
The Son has already died to cover your sin. The Son has already died to set you free. The Son has already died to bring you new life. That's why we put God first. Because God has already done the work through Jesus Christ to give us new life. Yes, singing and dancing, maybe not too much dancing, we are Anglicans, but singing and serving God and giving to Him and praying and coming and sharing bread and wine, those things are all important because Jesus died. We don't do them in order to earn the forgiveness of God. We do them as a response to the grace of God that's given to us. So today there is a gift. There's a free gift of God's love. That God loved you so much that even if you've turned away from him, even if you're trying to run away from him, he has come for you and he's died for you. And he desires that you enter his presence afresh and renewed. And so I'm going to invite you all to stand and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God's presence to come. Band, you want to come and play something spiritual? I don't know. What you... what, what's your response on? She changed it. Up to you. What about Jesus? <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer about uh, entrusting our brokenness to Jesus. About putting him first in our lives. And perhaps you're here and you, um, uh, you've just wandered in, in church, or maybe you've been here for years and years, and you've never really, really got that church is about um, the fact that God loves you so much that he died for you. That God loves you so much that he's in his son. He's borne your iniquities already. The thing is, we all really like our iniquities sometimes. We like to grab hold of them and keep hold of them. Today, I'm inviting you to let go of them. To let go of your brokenness. To Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you made the world and you love your creation. Lord, we know we are broken. That we're broken by what we've done. We're broken by what's been done to us. And Lord, we've come too familiar with being broken. Lord, we've worked hard at making ourselves right. And I pray, 